Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Again, all of you lovely friends, we are back with another episode, this time looking at everyone's greatest friend, Mr. Hoyd. And specifically, the stories that Hoyd tells. We're going to start a little mini-series about these stories, looking at potentially what their significance is now that we know a little bit more about the Cosmere and Rashar, etc., etc., because we all know whenever Hoyd is talking, we are looking for the hidden meanings. So we are going to have the next few episodes all fall under this banner of the stories of Hoyd, Hoyd's parables, life, the Hoyd story. (laughs) I just had to keep going until I got you to giggle. I was going to call these Rasharan folklore, but I'm not convinced that they are all actually Rasharan. Especially when we get to things like the dog and the dragon, which, you know, no dogs on (laughs) Rasharan. Exactly. So now we're calling these Hoyd's parables because I do feel like they are mm, maybe more specific to Hoyd and as parables do have some underlying meanings. Today we're going to split the episode into talking about fleet and wander sail. We're going to go roughly in order. Semi-chronological order. Yeah, but... We might feel free to jump to some of the other Hoyd sightings across the Cosmere. He has a small story that he tells in Warbreaker to the God Court and Ciri specifically. So we might jump over there as well. But as most of us know, Hoyd is most often found in the Stormlight Archive. So we're going to begin there with Hoyd's two stories that he tells to Kaladin in Book 1 and Book 2. Let's start with Fleet. This story is told in chapter 59 of Words of Radiance. If you at home would like to crack open your book and read along, so to speak. And in this chapter, Kaladin has been put in prison for, you know, being an upstart dark eyes. And, you know, threatening or challenging in public, threatening Sadius via Amaram and the duel that just ensued. So it's a big moment. Kaladin's feeling down in his prison cell, as Kaladin often does. One of his more down times. Of course, his bond with Syl will be tested in Words of Radiance, and we see in this chapter some of the fractures kind of starting to begin. But Wit, being good old Hoyt himself, comes to visit Kaladin, appearing as if out of nowhere, with maybe a bench in tow. I'm very confused. (laughs) I don't think he brought the bench with him. Kaladin says something like, was the bench even there a second ago? But I digress. Hoyd comes to Kaladin and in a very Hoyd-like way, begins to tell Kaladin a story while Kaladin is informing Hoyd of kind of the plot points. 
Yeah, he is kind of asking for audience participation. Yeah, it wasn't there a Middle Ditch and Schwartz Netflix comedy <laughs> special that was like an improv, you know, people shout out in the yeah. audience and then they turn it into a story. That's basically what Hoyt is able to do. He is both a Middle Ditch and a Schwartz. <laughs> Before Hoyd begins telling the story, we do get an interesting little observation slash quote where, quote, he hummed softly to himself and nodded. Perfect pitch, Wit says, makes this all so much easier than it once was, end quote. So obviously, big hint that at this point, Hoyd is holding at least 200 breaths to have perfect pitch. And this is one of the major clues that Hoyt is collecting all of the different or has already collected all of the different types of investiture. We say these things a lot and we reference a lot that, oh, yeah, just Hoyt has this stuff. And for those looking for the actual moment, this is it. In the story of Fleet is when we get that hint that Hoyt has so many breaths. One of many. And then, yes. Yeah. And it's a hard confirmation. And then let us go into the story proper. Yes. Hoyd begins telling this story about a man named Fleet, who is said to be the best runner there has ever been on Rashar. And he is this like mythical hero in many ways. He has been said to race the heralds and he just always wins no matter who he is racing. Fleet is Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Yes. He has put on his PF flyers. <laughs> he is guaranteed to run faster and jump higher. And as Wit does, he's telling the story with a little bit of the Yolish light magic yeah. and kind of weaving the story into Kaladin's reality. So Fleet begins to race the high storm. He's decided he is going to beat the storm. He's going to run all the way across the continent ahead of the storm. I'm going to keep this Sandlot reference going because the high storm is, is the, the beast. beast. There it is. <laughs> and just across town is across all Rashar. Yes. It's so perfect. It lines up so well. It's really good. I love this. You are Yolish light weaving for me right now. By just retelling the story of the Sandlot. Yes. Clearly, this is going to be Fleet's greatest task. And as he runs and keeps running, we get the vivid descriptions that we will come to know in all of Hoyd's parables. Like this, quote, Fleet stayed ahead, his muscles raw, eyes barely saw, legs barely walked, but on he went to destiny. The end you know, the end will live. A shock for men to me you'll give, end quote. So we've got this sort of poetic epic all set up. Fleet is running. And as Hoyd says, the end will live, which like makes you think that, you know, Fleet is going to go down in infamy as the hero. There are also some just interesting little things that I want to kind of pull out of this. One is that he's like racing towards his destiny. Like whatever happens at the end of this story is his destiny destiny, which is like, you know, meant to be his reason for being or whatever. So I think that's just sort of an interesting thing to keep in mind that this specific race is Fleet's destiny. And then there's another tiny part right before that quote that you just read, actually, which is, quote, his feet did blur, his soul a sun, end quote. 
and it's capital S soul, capital S sun, which I just thought was interesting. I kind of understand capital S soul, but I thought the capital S sun, it just like jumped out at me. And I was just wondering like, is he a shard vessel? Is he a dawn shard or something that he is like glowing in some way? An interesting thought, because certainly we feel with all of these stories and all of these parables that the characters are historical in some way, like they actually existed. That's at least the vibe that I get. That's what I think. And like, that's why we're looking at these now is to say, like, can we discern if there is some truth in these stories? Are they more than just fictional stories? Hoyt is telling to inspire Kaladin. Because in Rasharian lore, Fleet actually races a herald, the patron of the Deathbringers, Hanarok. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting thing to like keep in mind or to remember. And I started thinking about what the sort of metaphorical significance of that could be. Hana is the herald. She's the patron of the Dustbringers. So, like, that's interesting. In certain ways, Fleet is, like, racing against destruction or decay, you know, which is sort of the the realm of the Dustbringers. And then she is also known as the Herald of the Common Man. Someone calls her that in Oathbringer, I believe. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then she also has this surge of abrasion. So... Obviously, more on like a surface level, that would make her very fast because she could just like slip and slide. Now, the race is going to conclude in Fleet's death because, of course, Kaladin well, has to yeah. always Kaladin make kills it. him. Yes. And that adds the both tension and humor in the situation uh, that, you know, Kaladin's just always feeling down and Wit is not the person who is trying to bring him out of the slump like he's not just going to like tell a happy story and being like oh you're down on your luck Kaladin but Fleet's amazing and you can be amazing too I mean yeah I think like that is the question isn't it like did Hoyd have some sense that Kaladin would send the story in this direction because it certainly does seem like he arrives to tell an inspiring story to Kaladin to like you know, keep going, blah, blah, blah. And he somehow is still kind of able to tell that story, even with Kaladin's, like, eorness. Yes, and I think that that is the great storyteller aspect of Hoyd, is that he is adaptable in this way we were talking about improv. He's just adapting to his audience and is listening and having empathy for Kaladin. And that is allows him to change the story enough to make it work for the person that he is telling it to instead of just like beating you over the head <laughs> with the the morals of the story. Sure. Yeah, totally. So Kaladin like interjects and is like, he died. <laughs> and was that your just grumpy Kaladin? Yes. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> and Hoyd responds, quote, he died? Well, I can work with that. Upon that land of dirt and soil, our hero fell and did not stir. His body spent, his strength undone. Fleet the hero was no more. 
The storm approached and found him there. It still and stopped upon its course. The rains they fell, the winds they blew, but forward they could not progress. For glory lit and light alive, for goals unreached and aims to strive, all men must try, the winds did see. It is the test. It is the dream. End quote. Like so many parables in our own world, this is also describing a physical reality of the planet. It is giving a reason why the high storms stop at Shinovar, where fleet died is where the high storms do not progress onward. They have the, you know, the wind blowing and the rain falling, but the storm dies where fleet died. And as a recognition almost of the humanity, the line, all men must try, the winds did see, it is the test, it is the dream. It's the testing of yourself that is you know, the highest calling or the the greatest that one can reach. And the winds, which we should kind of think of as the storm father, like that's who's being tested sure. and raced in this situation mm-hmm. with fleet. And so the high storms on Richard do not progress past fleet's death mark is how I see it. Yeah. And I think just the, uh, it's kind of an illustration of the first ideal, of course, where the victory for Fleet is not in winning the race, but in the fact that he tried. And I think this next line is actually kind of a precursor to what happens to Eshenai. May not precursor, a little foreshadowing to what mm. happens to Eshenai. Yeah, no, I have some thoughts about this. Go ahead and read it. Quote, his body dead, but not his will. Within those winds, his soul did rise. It flew upon the day's last song to win the race and claim the dawn. Past the sea and past the waves, our fleet no longer lost his breath. Forever strong, forever fast, forever free to race the wind. End quote. Okay, so we have this quote about fleet's soul rising into the storm, which, yes, is similar to Eshenai, but... I also found this word of Brandon. It is paraphrased, but user Zandi asked, is the fleet story indicative of future events slash the ending of Stormlight Archive? And Brandon answered roughly, yes, Hoyt is telling Kaladin things that he needs to know, but Hoyt's knowledge of the future doesn't necessarily extend that far. But I thought this was very interesting and made me think, like, is Kaladin going to ascend to be, like, the new Stormfather or take up the pieces of honor that are in the storm or something? Well, if we go with the theory that Kaladin is the son of Tanavest, that's a theory. It's not... Yeah, hard a descendant. Confirmed. Yeah, a descendant of Tanavas, mortal vessel. And the Stormfather is holding honors Tanavas, cognitive shadow, as like a, you know, temporary... And the pieces of honor. And the pieces of yeah. honor. So if basically what the Stormfather is holding is what used to be part of Tanavas and the Shard as a whole, maybe Kaladin is a vessel enough 
for those pieces because it's like part of Tanavast is in the Stormfather and that cognitive shadow and part of Tanavast is also theoretically in Kaladin. So maybe Kaladin is the perfect person to rise to that situation. And at the end of his race, you know, at yeah, the end so of I'm Stormlight Archive, he yeah. dies, but then is risen. Ascends. Exactly. Yeah. Ascending to... Oh, man. Big time spear-wielding Jesus. <laughs> I think that's a possibility. I think that there are some hints to that, but I am not 100% on board. That is Agreed. a very... I, just, I think that's kind of a popular thing that's out there enough where people are trying to connect all of these dots and the kind of similarities between Fleet's story about trying being the most important thing even if it results in sacrifice sounds very similar to what kaladin's eventual story could be like why am i doing this what is the point of losing everyone everybody always dies what's the point and the point is to keep trying and to keep doing better yeah no i'm so glad you said that because when i read this story again it really struck me how similar it is to the vision that Kaladin has of Tien at the end of Rhythm of War and that the messages in this story and that vision are very similar. Um, and of course, you know, with all of us in our regular lives, you hear, you know, you learn the same lessons over and over again until you really learn them. So Kaladin just keeps getting the same message until he, it sinks in. And in that vision, we have, quote, why do we fight, Cal? Why do we keep going? I don't know, Kaladin whispered. I've forgotten. It's so we can be with each other. And then that quote goes on to say, quote, if he kills us, Tian said, he simply dropped us off at a place we were going anyway. We shouldn't hasten it, and it is sad. But see, he can't take our moments, our connection, Kaladin. And those are the things that really matter, end quote. Clearly, Kaladin dealing with his depression and post-traumatic stress disorder is constantly in this spiral of a the way that like all of us have these thought spirals or can feel that depressive spiral where going through the motions is both like a blessing and a curse sometimes you go through the motions just to like get you out of bed in the morning but also going through the motions that repetitive pattern is and can be very destructive in the way that like the bridge runs were a repetitive pattern that like always in the same way and Kaladin constantly processing that trauma over and over again is only compounding how bad everything is that they are dealing with. And I think that Fleet's story about just like continuing to run up the mountains, down the mountains, into the valleys is reminiscent of that. Yeah, I thought it was a good metaphor, actually, to kind of illustrate what maybe having depression can feel like, where Kaladin is kind of always in a race, always trying to outrun his depression. And there are some days where, you know, Fleet is running downhill in in the story. Kaladin's running downhill and everything's easy and the wind's at his back. And like, yes, he's still working. He's still running, but it's a little bit easier. And then there are some days where he's, you know, completely exhausted, done, and yet he has, you know, one more mountain range to climb and it is incredibly difficult, but he keeps going. The final end to the story is my favorite bit of Hoydism 
which goes like this, quote, the storm caught him, Kaladin said. The storm catches everyone eventually. Does it matter? I don't know. Good. Wit tipped his sword up towards his forehead as if in respect. Then you have something to think about. He left, end quote. Because of course, knowing the moral to the story, knowing what is important and what matters and what doesn't matter and if everything matters or nothing matters <laughs> is the ever-present question that we are all dealing with. And I think that Hoyd telling this story, going through the back and forth method of telling the story with Kaladin, like providing, it's it's bringing Kaladin out of that depression that he's in, in prison, and those terrible thought spirals about Amarim. I don't think it works at this point. Like I said, I think, you know, Hoyd kind of tries to give him that message at this point, and Kaladin's like not ready to hear it. And he doesn't really hear it until Tien says basically the same thing, right? Hoyd says the storm catches everyone eventually. Tien says we all end up in the same place anyway, you know? And it's not until two books later that Kaladin is finally like, oh, I get it. Yes. And you have to have multiple setbacks between (laughs) this point and that point. But I love that connection to what Tien says in Rhythm of War and how it does feel like Kaladin has come to a pivotal character growth point with this fourth ideal and his position now going into book five. You know, it feels like he's going to have a whole book of Kaladin. I don't want to necessarily say at his best, but like I think we're going to see peak Kaladin here. I don't know if that ends with his death or or some type of ascension, but like I'm pretty sure that we're going to have this book in from book 1 where we see Kaladin the slave to book 5 where we see Kaladin the fourth ideal and maybe fifth ideal and maybe something else, Night Radiant. <laughs> and another one of those stories that Hoyd tells that I think is going to have or is having a big impact on the future Stormlight Archive story is Wandersail. And I know off mic, we already disagreed a little bit about is the references that we've seen more recently about Wandersail connected to the original story. But let's go all the way back and then I'll try to provide the connection if it may exist. So this story is in The Way of Kings, chapter 57. So again, roughly chronological order here. We're going back a book. (laughs) Way of Kings, chapter 57. And Hoyd tells this story of Darithil and the Wandersail. And Darithil is said to be a king from the Shadow Days, which is, quote, the time before memory. So I think that's interesting that we're already placing this before they would have had any kind of record of history anyway on Rashar, which just adds a little bit of like, hmm, maybe this is true because they don't have any records from this time. Because of the story that Darithil is going on, he's commissioning a ship to sail through a high storm to kind of break out of the the bounds of the reef sailing, you know, when you're real close to the shore and you never kind of venture into the deeper ocean. Wander Sail is supposed to be this magnificent ship that is able to ride the high storms in the seas. Yes. So he commissions like the best ship that's ever been built in his day. And the reason that they are going out on this dangerous journey is to try to find the origin of the Voidbringers. 
So I'm already like confused by this timeline in a lot of ways because we have high storms definitely precede human life on Rishar. They existed before the humans showed up. But we have the Voidbringers, which is both a story of the humans and a story of the listeners. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little bit wondering if Darithil is actually a listener. Oh. That this is okay. a story about the listeners looking for the the origin of the humans exactly like where the invaders from Uh and like trying to go and find that and they have never left the shores kind of would make sense with the timing of the listener people i'm just confused a little bit by like what the shadow days like you arrived as a like fairly advanced race of humans from another planet doing this big transit you would have had basic history like you would have had basic record keeping yeah but things didn't survive the desolations absolutely and you have all those desolations that are breaking things up so i'm just throwing it out there i don't think that all of these need to be as we said earlier rashar based stories Mm -hmm. or necessarily human centric stories yeah no i think that's a good point too that this could be um a story from a different planet and hoid is inserting words that will make sense on Rashar. So like even I'm thinking, and I'm going to come back to this, but I'm thinking maybe this is a Skadrian story and people from, you know, Elendel or the part of Skadriel that we see the most sailed to like those Southern tribes that wear the masks and stuff. And those are the quote unquote void bringers. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Completely agree. I don't think that these necessarily all have to be what we see them on their face. Let's dive in, though, to the Wander Sail and the story proper, because the voyage takes them to a ring of islands in the middle of the ocean that surround a giant whirlpool. And that whirlpool is supposed to be the location where the ocean drains which is already, you know, not something that we've seen on Rashar, but exactly. I'm really excited to see, see that if that's it exists. Like another thing where I'm like, huh, I feel like this doesn't exist on Rashar. Like we've seen maps of Rashar. There are no islands in the middle of the ocean like this. So I don't know. Maybe, you know, again, happened in the shadow days. So maybe those islands just don't exist anymore. But I don't know. It just kind of seems weird. On those islands, they meet the native people who are called the Uvara, and they're described as having long, limber bodies and wearing clothing and accessories that are not found anywhere else on Rashar. So again, I'm immediately like, huh, are these like maybe world hoppers? If this is taking place on Rishar, I immediately, for some reason, thought of the Farukamists from Scadriel, because I think they're described as being kind of long and lanky, right? Definitely tall and kind of lanky. Like willowy. Yeah, a little bit. And weird clothing and accessories. That does definitely sound like right? Farukamists with their different metal I think metal they're described and- as having solid color robes, whereas the Farukamists wear like pattern robes. Yeah. So... There's a yeah a point against me, but it's plenty of speculation. But I think it's fun, and I think this idea of a native people who both don't look or dress like anyone else on Rashar is important. But the more important thing that's going on on this island and with this people is 
their intense devotion to their emperor and the emperor's quote-unquote rules. Yes, because of course, we've talked about this story a few times. This is a quite peaceful and pleasant society until uh, Darathil and his crew notice that any tiny imperfection, even if you just trip on a little stone, is immediately met with brutal murder by your peers. Yeah, by your peers. And the reason for this uh, that is given to Darathel is, quote, our emperor will not suffer failure, end quote. And that is like the line that is repeated to him over and over again every time one of these terrible murders happens. While we have mentioned this story previously, I want to take a moment to really focus in on the horrific nature of what these people are dealing with, because we will eventually find out, of course, that there is no emperor that is forcing them to do these things, that the emperor died long ago. Yeah, Darathil goes up to the tower and brings down this dead body and is like, look at your emperor. And then Darathil and his crew leave the islands, they flee with their ship that has been repaired. And I think this is important, and I didn't notice it, previously they take with them uh their the person who was their guide to the islands and her name is nafti and as they're like on the ship sailing away from the islands we have this quote holding a blanket around herself staring with haunted eyes at her lands she replied do you not see traveling one if the emperor is dead and has been all these years then the murders we committed are not his responsibility. They are our own, end quote. Leading back to what I was saying about the horror of this circumstance that these people have found themselves in, the personal traumatic stress that someone like Kaladin is dealing with is here shown on a communal or you know a small societal level where all of the people at once are realizing the horror of what they have been doing to each other, not because someone was forcing them, which they could tell themselves as a way of like removing guilt and putting the blame on, oh, it's our emperor. He will not suffer failure. Like this guy's real serious, not going to suffer any failure. No, that person didn't exist at all. That pressure that you felt, that compulsion almost that you felt to murder your friends and families and loved ones was completely your own and coming from within. That to me just strikes right at the heart of not only, we see it a little bit in Way of Kings, but it kind of continues to come back around in Words of Radiance, Oathbringer, and in Rhythm of War as more and more of the history of Rashar is unveiled to us and discovered. You have the listeners who are servants of Odium, sometimes, you know, directly taken over by the fused, who can very easily say like, oh, we're not responsible for this. Like, we were slaves uh, because the humans were terrible and we were kind of slaves to Odium in a way. We see this with Moash, who's kind of giving a responsibility away to Odium. But we know, and we are biased, but we know that Odium is flawed. 
we know that there are decisions, there are listeners, the people we originally knew as the Parshendi, where Venli is now gone to, who chose differently, who made specific decisions to leave the fighting and to not participate and to not be in that situation where you're killing your family, friends, and loved ones, even if they might be separated by, you know, race or creed or species. That choice, because some people made that choice to leave the fighting, it almost puts more pressure on the people who stayed to like recognize their responsibility in all of the horrible actions that they are taking. Like it's not just Odium's fault. It's not just because honor is dead. It's because you're making bad decisions. <sighs> like it is Yeah, I mean, I think that's hard to say because it's really hard for people to see outside of their own, you know, society or culture or religion. And that's why, like, in this story, it took a stranger you know, yes, someone from a completely different culture with different ideas to come in and like kind of pull back the curtain. But I think, you know, this goes along with the the theme that we've talked about a lot of like changing perspective and the importance of like questioning everything and how in Brandon Sanderson books, nothing ever is the way you think it is, even if there are historical documents to support your worldview. Yeah. Like those documents can be altered, you know. And I thought... This is interesting because you kind of mentioned honor as well. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, like, is this is this like a metaphor? Is the emperor honor who has at some point, you know, gone a little bit crazy and is maybe holding people to unrealistic standards yeah. of perfection? Not suffering any failure. Yes, exactly. And then at some point they realize that honor is dead and that they then gain a bit of freedom, maybe, that they are not being held to this, like, religion that they thought was guiding them. Yeah, I definitely think we know that there exists this kind of basic conflict between the Skybreakers and the Windrunners at large and Kaladin and Zeth on, on a smaller scale of the doing what is right path or doing what is legal path mm -hmm. and i think that in our own society or anyone can kind of break that down in their own regards because in a way this is a story that is antithetical to the first ideal and the more yeah which is that the the end result is the only thing that matters perfection yes yeah i think that brandon as a writer is setting up this kind of conflict between do what is right or do what is legal. And I would say that Brandon sides more with the you need to do what is right or you need to try to do what is right. Even if you fail, that's okay if you're trying to do what is right. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that Brandon is setting up the union of those two things that okay, we, that's a we continue to come back over and over again to this fact that like swinging to either end of that spectrum is bad like the honor spren are doing bad things and nail and the skybreakers are doing bad things and like they need each other is i think more the the answer to that question yes a unity yes. being bonded together but i believe that this story introduces this aspect of 
personal responsibility in a very horrific way for these people who are living on the island. But that concept of you cannot rely on someone else to tell you what you should be doing and tell you the actions that you should be taking. You cannot rely on your emperor because your emperor might be dead and he might be taking bad actions in the name of a dead thing. But I also think that Brandon, not only in the Stormlight Archive and other Cosmere books, but also in the Skyward series that we are going over on our Patreon right now in a book club, if you want to join Patreon, or you can join any of our social medias. <laughs> but I think this concept of trusting history, which you mentioned mm-hmm. briefly yeah. about like history or religion or your traditions or your laws, your legal system, all of these things yeah. can be ways of putting off your guilt and your responsibility to making personal decisions that are doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like maybe really the takeaway is that like you should always question, you know, like always be questioning to do the the work of like really thinking about the structures that you live within and doing your own uh, decision making and discernment process of what feels right or seems like the right thing to do or, you know, determining in that way versus just following prescribed paths. Yeah, you can't just give responsibility to someone else to lead you through all circumstances because there are going to be moments in life when you are forced to make these difficult decisions. And if you've only, if you've never questioned anything and it's just always been an authority figure telling you what to do, then when you have those difficult decisions, your only option is to rely on the authority. You like almost don't have the ability because you haven't like trained yourself to go a different route. And that's why we kind of feel bad for these people, the Uvara people who are trapped in this way and it taking an outsider's perspective to like break open their mindset which is also like a great psa for like don't be afraid of strangers we (laughs) need people who think differently than we do an interesting word of brandon uh on this user light flame asked can you give me a hint about nafti the uvara girl that darathel brought with him when he left the great abyss And Brandon replied, there is more truth to that story than some may think. So very interesting there. One, I need to know who Nafti's uh, descendants are. It certainly makes me question. And it certainly makes me wonder again about the, are these world hoppers? Are we on Rashar in the first place? Are we dealing with a, like a... I don't know, like I could I could imagine a lot of crazy situations coming out of this. But for example, some of the mixed race people, the horn eaters being mm. the mm-hmm. like maybe this is the beginning of their lineage or something like that. Oh, because you're still thinking that Darithel might be a listener. Exactly. Okay. And so if that yeah. theory was true and then they went and got someone who was uh, you know, from this weird human breakoff group or whatever on these islands then maybe that's the beginning of one of the peoples that we now see today maybe nafti is the great 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 grandparent of rock and <laughs> the interesting reason that i bring up rock is because of what happened in don shard with rock's daughter being a key member of risen's party 
Yes, that brings us to Risen. She also has a ship called the Wandersail. This ship was built by the Stim to be one of the great merchant vessels and exploring vessels on Rashar. Yes. So very similar to Jarethel, Vistim commissions this ship to be the fanciest, most cutting edge ship of the time. And therefore he aptly names it Wandersail. And we get this quote, quote, a deed of ownership, she whispered, to a ship? Brand new, the stem said. A three-masted frigate, the largest I've ever owned, with fabrile stabilizers for storms of the finest Thalen engineering. Wandersail, Risen said, reading the ship's name. Babsk, you are a romantic. Don't tell me you believe that old story. One can believe in a story without believing it happened, he smiled. End quote. I feel like Vistim does believe it. He's just like downplaying it for Risen. And when we have this word of Brandon where we're learning that there's more truth to this story than some may think. Some, some meaning Risen. <laughs> so Risen doesn't know what's up. The stem obviously does. Yeah. And just like so appropriate. You know, these ships have like very similar origins. They are both taken out on these journeys of mythical proportions. Yes. You know, like give give uh, Dawn Shard another couple hundred years and it will sound just as far-fetched as Darathil's story. You know, this girl sets off on this cutting-edge ship to go to this island that like no one believes even exists anymore and there's nothing there and she finds, you know, all of these incredible things. Now, I don't think that this is the case too much, but this is where my wild speculation comes in. Because we have weird things going on in the Cosmere when it comes to people moving around and stories being told. And maybe this is a tale from a different planet. Or maybe oh my this God, is... You're going to make this a time jumping thing, is aren't you? a story from a different time. <sighs> exactly. Wandersail, the story, is based on Risen and the Wandersail. <laughs> You've officially completely gone off the deep end. We have gone deep into the whirlpool where the ocean drains, and we're coming up with gold, people. Gold! This is bronze at best. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not making this argument as if it is actually happening, but I am simply saying that it is strange to me that we would get a ship actually named Wandersail. It would be as if a person named it after the story appropriately, which is great. But I love a good bootstrap paradox where the story. Not everything is a time travel story. (laughs) It should be. No, it shouldn't be. It's ridiculous. I know it's ridiculous. It's completely silly, but I do think that the parallels between Wandersail the ship and Wandersail the story. Yes. I think it's more interesting that Vistim names the ship after this, you know, big mythical quest before Risen has been offered the mythical quest. So, like, if anything, I feel like maybe that's an indication that Vistim knows something about the future. Or, yeah, about Risen specifically yeah, because of her traumatic experience where she became paralyzed. Maybe there was something with the big gigantic turtle dude who oh, is, yeah, you know, sure. like, v- 
the stim has had interactions with those people in the past maybe that involved learning some stuff from the i know it's not a lion turtle from avatar but that's always what i imagine wander sale is a haunting story it's like really good for the spooky time of the year that it happens to be right now and it is because it's a story as we mentioned about kind of rejecting authority or questioning authority it fits so perfectly with all of these different characters who are constantly surrounded by authority tradition literal godlike powers that are forcing them into certain actions and behaviors yeah yeah and that it's like you gotta question everything all the way up the chain like question the king question your societal traditions question the shards like we've seen they're not infallible they have problems they don't know everything they can be wrong you can't believe freaking anyone in these stories it is of course a question Ooh, including hoyd question hoyd even when he's telling us great stories yes it is of course the questioning and then answers that they get that breaks up the knight's radiant uh, when the truth is learned about the reversal of humans as the victims to humans as the conquerors and the oppressors. And so I think that Wandersale is the story, to me, that is going to have the most kind of long life in the Stormlight Archive. Maybe, maybe not. We've got some good ones coming up. We do have some good ones coming up. and I, But I am saying this was from way of kings yeah and i feel like it is still relevant it's clearly at least mildly relevant because of risen and her ship's name and so i think that it absolutely could be something that continues not just to stormlight archive 5 which with fleet we kind of talked about how that could be paralleling kaladin's journey and maybe that ends with something big and fleet like in stormlight 5 but i think Risen's story and the story of the Wander Sail. Like, Risen could become a Cosmere sailor sailing well, across the Cosmere. Yeah, Risen's obviously going to have some pretty far reaching significance, it would seem. However, we are going to get to the girl who looked up and the story of the Moon Child. And those two stories, I think have potentially even more significance to Stormlight Archive as a whole. So stay tuned, friends. That's what we got coming up over the next couple of weeks. Really excited about these. I have been waiting for like two years to do the episode about the moon child. I'm very excited. So it is happening. It is coming. Look for that episode coming up next. Always remember that you can find us on Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, Social medias exist everywhere. You can join us on Patreon to get double the episodes. Oh, so fun. Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination.